because there was no place for them in the end. I want us to think about that last verse of this passage this morning for just a moment. On your bulletin, if you'll get your bulletin back out, you may have tucked it away, but on the front, you will notice on the cover of your bulletin in the top left-hand corner, you will see an image of our church logo. What is that an image of? What does it depict? The front of the church, correct? And if you'll notice, there's a door in the center and the door is open. Hopefully, when you arrived this morning, if you came through the front entrance, hopefully that door was open, or at least someone opened it for you when you arrived. What is the message that we are sending through that image? That our door is always open, that you are welcomed here, that we are expecting you. Advent is a season for us to focus on making preparations. And, you know, there were several families that read liturgy for us this morning, highlighting the various decorations in our space and the biblical meanings behind those and how they point us to Christ, the message of Jesus. Thank you guys for reading. And these families, along with others, were the ones that made the transformation happen uh, this week on Tuesday. Uh, putting up all of the decorations under the direction of the boss, Becky Robinson. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. Thank you, team, for all you do to make our sanctuary such a beautiful place to make us ready, to help us to prepare in this season of Advent. You know, what we're doing is we're making room. We're making room for the newborn king in our hearts. We're also making room beyond ourselves for others. We are inviting and showing hospitality. That's what I want to challenge us to do in this season is to take steps to show radical hospitality. You know, on the first Christmas, Mary and Joseph, they made their way from Nazareth about a hundred miles up to Bethlehem. And their, the circumstances surrounding their journey were less than ideal. Uh, we're told by the Gospel of Luke that Emperor Augustus had issued a decree that everyone should return to their hometowns in order to be counted in the census. And so Mary, who is late in the third trimester of her pregnancy, makes her way on the back of a donkey these hundred or so miles they would have taken a, a few days for them to make the trip. There were no buses, trains, or automobiles, no Motel 6s or Holiday Inns. There was not even a McDonald's or a Taco Bell to provide food for them. But they made this arduous journey exhausted. They arrive in Bethlehem. The city was packed to capacity because pilgrims from all over were making their way there. And thank goodness, someone took them in. We don't know much about this person that we learn about in Luke's gospel. Most often, we simply refer to them as a hymn or as an innkeeper. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that innkeeper this week. 
You know, it may come as a surprise to you like it did to me, but the Bible never actually mentions the innkeeper. He's never mentioned. She's never mentioned. The name is never talked about. For years, I have imagined that this person is part of the Christmas story. If there was an inn, then most certainly there would have been an innkeeper, we presume. But this person doesn't show up in our nativity scene. Anybody see an innkeeper up here? I don't. I see some, some shepherds. And we know on that first Christmas night that they were keeping watch in their fields over their flocks. An angel appears and they make their way to the streets of Bethlehem searching for this newborn baby. We also know that there's an angel in the scene. Uh, angels are prominent in the nativity and the biblical story of Christ's birth. And then a little later on, we find the Magi, the three kings. They make a journey from the Far East bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Certainly, they are a part of our nativity. And then all of these characters beautifully flank Mary and Joseph, the central characters, and the baby Jesus in the manger. These are all the good guys in the story. These are the ones that give us the warm and fuzzies when we see it reenacted and when we sing the carols and the hymns every year. But what about the innkeeper? He or she is, is typically, when they do show up in a pageant, they're cast in a very negative light. They are the grumpy, half-asleep person that shouts down from the second floor of the house, Kids, go on, there's no room here. We have no place for you. You know, I wonder, though, is this a fair depiction of the innkeeper? Was this person truly insensitive, not willing to open his door or to be bothered with the problems of others? Or was this innkeeper doing the best that he could to provide accommodations in a nearly impossible situation? Not all translations of the Bible speak of an inn. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and another translation says there was no space for them in the living quarters. One commentary says that small towns like Bethlehem would not have even had an inn. Most houses in the first century were what we call four-pillar houses. Many of them consisted of at least two, maybe three stories. The ground level was the first story, and it was the barn. It's where the animals were kept. Then you go up to the second level in the house, and that, those were the living quarters. There would have been a small room for the family to gather to eat meals, and then possibly one, maybe two bedrooms. And those who were privileged enough may have had a third floor that was just a flat level deck where families could go up in the hotter months and could sleep up there or could lounge around. This was the way most houses were constructed around Bethlehem. So, in a pinch, 
when you ran out of room, a family might offer the downstairs, the manger, the barn, in order for guests to have some privacy. Perhaps what this innkeeper offers to Mary and Joseph on that first Christmas night was a gift of compassion. Maybe we need to consider the innkeeper in a different light. Instead of turning this desperate couple away, he took them in. He made room for them. Such a person might be an example for us of how to be a good neighbor. Maybe getting in touch with the spirit of Christmas involves extending love and warmth to strangers in our communities, beginning in our own neighborhoods and in our church. We know that Christmas can be a lonely season for a lot of people, especially those who have moved to a new community, those that are, are in a neighborhood where, where maybe they haven't met their friends or neighbors. And then even perhaps for those of us who are believers, when we arrive in a new community, we, we look for a church. And, and maybe if, if we haven't found those places during the holidays, it can cause us to feel as though something is missing. It can make us feel lonely. Christmas can be a lonely season for people. You know, my wife and daughter and I, we moved to Clinton just a few months ago. We were new in this community just a short time ago. And what I have found is a great way to meet neighbors is to walk the dog. So I've spent a lot of mornings through the summer, a lot of evenings. Debbie and I have walked the dog up and down the streets of our neighborhood. And what I found is others have dogs that like to walk too. And so we have met our neighbors through walking dogs. We've, through meeting them, we've had cakes delivered to our house. Uh, we've had folks offer their assistance if we needed it in any way. We even had a one fellow that said, hey, if you ever need to borrow anything, uh, come see me. Well, this weekend I called him and I said, I'd like to borrow a ladder. I have some Christmas lights I want to put up on the house. And he said, sure, go down. It's beside the garage. I did. I found the ladder. I tied it on the top of my little bitty car and I, I, I put the sunroof back, put one arm out and held it in place. <laughs> and got my Christmas lights hung up and took it back. You know, that's what good neighbors are for. That's what they do. They, they welcome each other. They lend a hand when it's needed and all of those sorts of things. And, and I have found that we have some great neighbors here in this community, and I'm sure you would say the same about your neighbors as well. Never underestimate a simple act of kindness and how it can help us form the bonds of a neighborhood. You know, I wonder if we might use this Advent season to survey our neighborhoods, to embrace the welcoming spirit of the innkeeper and to look intentionally for those around us who might be lonely, who might feel left out, who might need to experience the power of a loving invitation. Perhaps we should focus on opening up our doors 
and extending them a warm invitation, making them feel welcome with whatever provisions that we might have. You know, being a good neighbor can take on many forms. It can be planning a party for your neighborhood, an open house, inviting friends to come over. It could be inviting someone to a cup of coffee to get to know them a little better, to hear their story, or delivering a tasty treat, maybe some candy or cookies or a loaf of bread during this season. It might be helping out, cleaning up after a storm. We've seen that happening around in our community recently. It could be listening to someone who just needs an ear or maybe even has an animal that needs to be fed while they're out of town. We've got a neighbor like that that we've relied on several times. You know, as you think about what you might do to be a good neighbor, we've given you a bookmark this morning when you came in. We'll have these throughout the holiday season. On the back, it uh, lists some dates for some things going on during this month that you can invite your neighbors to come and, and join you in worship for one of these special services. We give this to you as a tool that you might use. Romans 12:13 says, Share what you have with the saints so that they lack nothing. Take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. In other words, what Paul is saying here is to be hospitable. Be a good neighbor. Take every opportunity that we have to be a neighbor. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says, Most of all, love each other steadily and unselfishly because love makes up for many faults. Show hospitality to each other without complaint. You know, the part about that verse that really got to me this week was the without complaining part. You see, I was outside on Friday evening and I was cleaning off the pine straw from the driveway and the neighbor saw me out there. He was walking his dog and he came over. And it was about to get dark. And he started talking and talking. And he talked and he talked. And 30 minutes went by. 45 minutes went by. The sun had set. It was completely pitch black dark. And I'm standing there with a rake in my hand. You know, working. And he keeps talking. And I'm thinking, what an inconvenience. <laughs> but he was just wanting to get to know me. And before we ended the conversation, he invited me to a men's prayer group on Tuesday night. And I said I'd go. And I planned to go. And I got to thinking about this verse. Show hospitality without complaining. That got me. And I'm going to try to do a better job of that during this holiday season. All of us need to connect with someone who cares. Perhaps this was the first gift that was presented to Mary and Joseph. The gift of an innkeeper who made room for them. Who showed them compassion. That night, this gift was more important than gold and precious spices. May this Advent season we embrace a welcoming spirit in our homes and in our church home. For in doing so, we discover the true meaning of this season. 
This is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.